Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Father, you are here, and we are here. May we be here together now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's start the sermon with a list. I always want to start your sermon with a list. Here's the list. Let's see here. What do we got? Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, Reformed, Presbyterians, Anglicans slash Episcopalians, Baptists, Quakers, Mennonites, Methodists, Holiness, Pentecostals, Charismatics, Seventh-day Adventists, non-denominational. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. I could easily keep going with main categories, and then underneath those main categories are a bunch of splintered offshoot denominations. According to the Handbook of Denominations in the United States, 14th edition, 14th edition, okay, yeah, that's real. There are 200 distinct church bodies in the U.S. alone. Worldwide, there is an estimated 45,000 denominations, and the number keeps growing. There's about to be two more, because there is a major global church that is about to divorce and separate themselves and go their separate ways in the next few months. A church actually very near and dear to my heart, splitting. It's not surprising that this happens because I mentioned in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, human beings have a knack for creating dividing lines and setting up social barriers and stereotypes and placing people in their appropriate boxes. We tend to stay away from those who don't look like us or talk like us or dress like us or eat like us or vote like us or believe like us or think like us or root for the opposite team. We tolerate them for a little bit those people that differ from us. But then eventually, we get to the point where we seek to align ourselves solely with other like-minded individuals who hold the same beliefs, values, and practices. And then we split and splinter and separate from everyone else that we have deemed to be in the wrong, which then assumes that I'm right. Who doesn't like to be right? Nobody? Okay, I guess it's just me. And we bring this way of thinking into the church because the church is full of people. Now, for groups in the church who are the spearheads of division, who are kind of leading the charge of schism, they have their reasons, and they support those reasons with Scripture. And likewise, the groups in the church that want to remain together and learn how to walk hand in hand and stay unified, well, they have their reasons and they support them with scripture as well. And one of them, if not the main one, is our gospel reading this morning. Jesus is still in the upper room with his disciples around the table. 
This is the same table that he got up from and donned the garb of a house slave and washed everybody's feet. Does anybody remember that whole thing, right? God who created the world washing people's feet. It's pretty remarkable. And he gave them a new commandment to love one another just as he loved them. It's called the new commandment. And he is just moments away of getting up from said table and walking into a garden while he will be betrayed by Judas Iscariot and then arrested. So these are the final moments of Jesus with his disciples, whom he now calls, he calls friends. Isn't that cool? Jesus calls you friend. And what does he do during those moments? He prays. He prays for them. This passage is the end snippet of the prayer of Jesus that spans the entirety of chapter 17. Most people call it Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in this part, he not only prays for the disciples that are in that room and those people that have already believed in him, which is to say they have entered into a trusting love relationship with Jesus. That's what belief means. But he prays for those in the future. He prays for you and me. Those who would believe because of those people in the room that Jesus is the Messiah and enter into a trusting love relationship with Jesus. We actually get to hear Jesus pray for us. You and me, literally. Isn't that cool? And what is the main topic of his prayer for you and I? For the church, both present and future. Is it that we would have a killer choir and amazing pipe organists? Yes. You get an A. Is it that we would have beautiful church buildings adorned with stained glass? Maybe. Is it that we would have tight, militant, liturgical movement and gesture? Possibly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking about you when I said that. Attractive and bustling church programs just swarming with children, youth, and adults. Robust outreach ministries to the needy. Hmm? Fiery evangelism to the lost and unsaved. Pulpit preachers that provide inspiring, life-applicable messages that you can just incorporate into your life. Is that what he said? Great coffee and snacks <laughs> at church gatherings in the fellowship hall. Is that what Jesus prayed for? Was any of that included in Jesus' prayer? No, not necessarily. Now, that doesn't mean that those things are not good and important and holy and right, and that Jesus had never mentioned anything that would support what we do in the church, including great coffee and snacks. You don't think Jesus wants to go to coffee hour and have some good coffee and snacks? Of course he does. What it means, though, is that um, these things weren't on Jesus' mind moments before he was brutally executed for his love for all the world. He just wasn't thinking about those things. The last element of Jesus' prayer for the church, both present and future, was something totally different and nothing that would be on our minds at all. Oneness and unity. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe through their word that they may all be one. 
in light of four different churches in any intersection in the U.S. and 45,000 denominations worldwide, did the father ignore his son's prayer right before he went to the cross? I don't think so. Because this oneness, even though it doesn't look like we're unified, this oneness is not merely an external reality. It's a spiritual, unseen, heavenly reality. Jesus says, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they all be in us. This oneness is a mode of being first. It's, this unity is something that we are, something that God has already done in us through Christ when we were rebirthed out of the womb of God's love and holy baptism. It's something that we are. We all carry the same spiritual DNA inside of us because God dwells in me and God dwells in you and he dwells in every, each and every one of us. It's the same thing with my natural family. I can be estranged from my son or daughter. I can hold a grudge against my parent or sibling. I could have separated myself from another family member and maybe for a very good and healthy reason, maybe even for my own protection, whether that's physical or emotional, but you can't change the fact when you look in the mirror, you got your father's eyes. You can't change that. Context will only do so much. You cannot change that. You can't change that you look like your sister or your brother, so much so that when you were kids, people thought you were twins. You can't change that. You share the same DNA. That is the same in the church. We share the same spiritual DNA. The blood of Christ flows in your veins and in mine. That's something we cannot change. What Jesus is praying is for that reality of oneness and unity that is already there, that is already in us, that has already been accomplished, that that would be made manifest for the world to see and taste and experience because the oneness and unity is not only for the church to enjoy because we have a good time when we get together, but for the world so that the world might come to believe that Jesus Christ has been sent and know how deeply loved they are. Our greatest witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to Jesus' prayer, is the unity of the church visible and on display for all the world to see. And this is directly related to Jesus' new commandment, to love one another as he has loved us. He said, the world will know that you're my disciples, that you belong to me, that you're one of mine by how you love one another. And they'll want to get in on that. And they'll believe that I'm alive because there is no way that these people are loving each other the way that they are. That is our greatest witness. That is our greatest testimony. And to maintain that unity, as Paul says, in the spirit the only way to do that is through the love of Christ, which is not warm, fuzzy feelings or butterflies or I feel like loving today or not. It is the self-giving love of Jesus. But as history has shown, we often choose self-interest and self-service over self-giving love. That's why the church is so fractured, not only in denominations, but in local churches. Therefore, our greatest witness to Jesus Christ and his being savior and lover of the world is soiled and diminished. Okay. So unity is like a big deal for Jesus. He kind of thinks it's important. Yeah. All right. Well, what does that really have to do with me? 
typical American thing to ask, right? What does that really have to do with me, though? Like me and my life. What do I mean? My daily grind. You know, I got to get up in the morning. I got to get dressed. I got to brush my teeth. I got to walk the dog. I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I got to go deal with people. I got to go pay my taxes. I got crying kids or grandkids. I got to feed them. I got to take them to the park and get energy out of them so they don't drive me insane. My daily grind of life, your life, my life, you know, because tomorrow, are are any of you going to be spearheading like a worldwide church unification movement? Are you going to be entering into that? No, you're not. Tomorrow, I'm going to barbecue tomorrow. I'm going to barbecue, and then I'm going to go to work on Tuesday, and then rinse and repeat. That's what I'm going to do. But if unity is on the top of Jesus' list, maybe somehow we might seek to put it at the top of ours. What does it look like for you to work for unity in your little corner of the world? How might you participate in this idea of oneness? Let's just start, let's start in the home. Maybe in your marriage. Wow, good luck with that. But marriage is baby church. It is. What does it look like to work out what is already in you when God, the creator and redeemer of the world, joined you and your spouse together as one flesh in the sacrament of holy matrimony? That you are technically not just a sole individual now. You're something else. What does it look like to work that unity out so that it is actually experienced not only by you and your spouse, but everybody else around you? Doesn't that sound like a total impossibility? Yeah. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus did say that. Your family, your friend group, your business or organization The people working with you or under you, however you understand that, do you realize if you're a leader or a manager in an organization, how much power and influence you have on the unity of your people? You can change their lives. That's how much influence you have. You know, our church staff, do you know why we're united? Him. Why? Because he has opened his heart to Jesus. That's why. That's how much power and influence he has, and he doesn't use it. He lets Jesus exude through his being, and that's why the church staff experiences so much unity as a team. You can do that in your business. You can do that in your organization, especially if you're a leader. Sorry to put you on the spot, but it's the truth. So thanks be to God for that. Your bridge club. I know you St. Michael's people play bridge. Your local church. Do my thoughts, words, and actions in the various groups and communities I'm a part of, do they sow discord and division through toxicity or do they work for reconciliation and harmony through love? Before I send the email, before I respond on Facebook, before I send that text, as Father Rick taught me, maybe we should sift it through the heart of Jesus to see if it makes for unity or if it makes for division. Unity is not easy, 
because it involves me acknowledging my self-centeredness. Newsflash, people, you're a human being. Therefore, you do think all the planets actually orbit around you. It's just the way we are. We think we're the center of the universe. So we have to acknowledge that <laughs> that's a reality, and that's okay. We don't have to shame ourselves. We can laugh at that. And then we shelf our self-interest for the sake of others, for the sake of the world. I don't mean people-pleasing, and I know what that is because I am a people-pleaser. I don't mean sweeping things under the rug or being another's doormat. That is actually self-interest. That is as selfish as it gets because it's manipulation and control. I'm just trying to control the environment so I feel good. It's under the guise of being nice, but it is not love. Unity is only manifested through sacrificial love. In the mind of Jesus, the church is the instrument of unity. Through our unity, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because there is no way we're doing this on our own, which, by the way, Holy Spirit comes next week, so show up day in Pentecost next Sunday. Jesus would bring together all the peoples of the world. The world would look to the church for the key to peace, which is Christ himself. It is quite the project. But Jesus seems to care about this a lot. Maybe we should too. But maybe it's best just to begin in our own backyards. Keep it small. Keep it simple. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to be the manifestation of Jesus' prayer so that the world may come to believe that the Father has sent his Son and they may come to know how deeply loved they are, loved with the same love, imagine this, as the Father loves his son. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn and therefore you can never lose.